This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here! How dare you turn my father's house into a market! His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show to us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Cool. Arno, coming up. Uh, most of you, well, some of you will know Arno. Some of you um, who came last year on the weekend away, Arno was with us. He served us really well. It's great to have his wife, Claire, with us at that weekend as well. It's a real shame she's not here. Um, but Arno, uh, he's from East London, not East London in our capital, East London in South Africa. Leads a great church there. And um, he's over in the UK for the next week and a bit-ish, um, serving a number of churches. He's part of the wider advance movement that we're a part of. And so he's here today. We're really, really um, so grateful he could come and serve us. Uh, he's a great preacher and you've served us so well before. So I'm going to quickly pray for you. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for Arno, Lord. Thank you for the friendship and the, the family we have with him, Lord. Thank you, Father, that um, uh, even though so many miles separate us, Lord, he, he can come back f- uh, so easily and feel part of us so quickly, Lord. And we just say, that we just want um, your Holy Spirit to work through him this morning, Lord. Come as we open up scripture, look into it, Lord. We pray your spirit would be at work in us, soften our hearts to um, really le- learn and hear from you this morning, that our hearts would be changed. In your name, Amen. Amen. It's great to be back with you. I always love coming back to a church that I've been to before. Um, um, love from everyday people. They've already met. They've gone home already. We're two, two hours ahead of you. Um, they've had a great time, and they've sent just lots of love. They're praying for this time this morning and for our engagement. Um, love the meals and the dinners. Uh, I just, you eat so much when you come on these trips. Everybody wants to impress you with their curry or their food or the, the moes. If you're going to the moes later for, for lunch, if you're not even a visitor, just go. Um, the food's going to be brilliant. I'd encourage you to go. So this morning, I want to speak about easy worship. 
and we're going to look at why this Jesus that we, um, I don't know, it's not often I've been to a church and read this as a guest preacher, um, but we're busy reading John together as a church and preaching through John step by step as a church. And I thought, wow, this really served us well. I'm hoping it will serve you this morning. And the beauty of reading through Scripture um, chapter by chapter is it forces us sometimes to read sections in the Scripture that, that sometimes we think isn't so comfortable, so nice to read, um, and we kind of want to skip through. Even my friends that don't know Jesus know about this piece of passage in the Bible. They know there's a place in time where Jesus wasn't gentle and meek and mild, and Jesus really lost lost it. Now, saying Jesus lost it is in some ways almost um, an insult because I don't think he lost it. He deliberately was angry. But in our language, we in South Africa, we would say, the, the, uh, if I say oak, I'm not meaning an oak tree. I mean oak as it's short for bloke in South Africa. So I'll say oaks, it'll be a guys or guys or men. Um, they've asked me to explain that to you. And I've also written on all my pages, speak slower for the English. Um, I'm not sure why that's appropriate, but Apparently, us South Africans like to go at full steam ahead. So, where were we? I just wanted to culturalize and contextualize myself. So, what makes this Jesus so angry? And my friends that don't know even Jesus, the one passage they often ask me about is, so what got Jesus so mad? And we like that oak, because I just did it. Um, We like that guy, Jesus, because we can identify with, can't you? Can't you identify there's some things in life that just get you so irked that you don't care what's going on, you are going to lose it. So we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to, we're going to read this passage. We have read it, and Florence has done that for us. So worship made easy is the thing that gets under Jesus' skin. He's angry. We, we read that very clearly. Um, but there's a difference, I, I find, between loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus. Um, I can love, what do you love in England? You love your rugby team at the moment because they won. But you certainly don't worship your rugby team. Certainly you don't. Um, I love supporting Liverpool, but I certainly don't worship them, especially not this morning after the weekend's results. Um, did you see what happened in the Sevens final? Anybody follow rugby? Sevens? I'm not apologizing for... But you're still second on the log, England. Well done. Sorry about the final. Um, this morning, if you haven't read, you'll know that South Africa beat you with quite a big margin. Um, in the sevens final. So you're second on the log. You've got about 40 points to make up, but you'll get there. So Jesus, what goes wrong? Let's go look at what goes wrong in the church. I want to talk about what when worship goes wrong um, in the church context as an institution, as a body. And I'm going to ta- I'm look for us at what happens when worship goes wrong in the believer's heart, when worship becomes something that it's not, or it's not meant to be. And it's clearly something that when it goes wrong, and badly wrong, Jesus feels so strongly and passionate that he's prepared to just create chaos and break it all up. So let's look at this. So what happened in this context? Let me just um, speak around the context of what was happening. If you're new to church, if you're like me, you read Scripture, and often they use words and phrases and events, and you go, what on earth um, are they talking about? So early in the passage, it refers to all the Jews are coming to celebrate the Passover at the tabernacle. Those are big words, Passover, tabernacle. Tabernacle, modern day, would be church or gathering of all those who believe together. I mean, those days, the building and the way it was set up was very, very formal and very, very deliberate. And then the Passover referred to a feast that the Jews were celebrating. And Passover... I like it because it's quite simple, and the simplest person in the building, like Arno, can understand passing over. So in Egypt, um, centuries ago, when, when Israel were, were enslaved by, by the Egyptians and slaves to them, God promised their deliverance or setting them free. And part of the, the deliverance process was that God would, um, the angel of death would cross over Egypt and take, take out all the firstborns in the nation if you weren't a Jew and if you weren't 
I'm covered by, by the blood. And so, for the angel of death to pass over your house, literally pass over and not destroy or kill your oldest son in the building, the Jews would slaughter a lamb, they would take the blood of the lamb, and they would paint the post of their home. And then when the angel of death crossed over or passed over, when he, when he saw the blood, they would pass over. A beautiful picture of, of a, a freebie or a free ride or a, a free ticket that's not going to affect our lives. And it's actually a picture of what will happen one day when Jesus dies on the cross, that, that God's wrath and all God's vengeance over sin in our lives would be passed over because of the blood of Christ. So they, they were kind of foreshadowing and foretelling Jesus is coming. He'll be the great lamb that one day his blood will cause the angel of death and God's wrath to pass over you and he will receive all that. And so they, every year for the Jews, it was a massive celebration of God's mercy and God's grace and love over them that, that they remember back, remember back when God came and God's angels of death passed over our homes because of the blood of the lamb sacrifice. Beautiful picture, isn't it? And you can see how it already starts pointing at Jesus, even in the Old Testament. And if you're new to church, what's beautiful about the Old Testament, even if you're not new to church, is that the Old Testament symbolically and speaks always pointing to this one day when Jesus will be the ultimate lamb of sacrifice. We sang it this morning. We sang about the, the Lion of Judah, but we also sang about the lamb that was sacrificed and paid the price for us for that. So they were getting ready for... So how did this work in Jewish culture? So what would happen? Every male over 19 years old within 15 to 30 miles away from the tabernacle would get ready and come to the temple to sacrifice on behalf of his family to celebrate that God, um, they would, that God would forgive their sins, that their family would be blessed, etc. And so every male, you can imagine for, for, for miles and miles, every Jew over, over 19 would have to come prepared and prepare a lamb, prepare an animal for sacrifice or for, for worship, um, and bring some and pay temple tax. They had a tax to pay. But what was happening is the, the guys running the temple realized that there's some money to be made in this, in this deal because it's inconvenient. It takes a lot of time and effort for you to raise a lamb to full-grown stature, and then you have to transport it all the way. And it wouldn't be easy if you could just pitch up at the temple, pay some money, buy a lamb that's been provided for you, put it on the altar, and it's done, and you've done your sacrifice. Tick the box, and I can move on. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, to sometimes how we can approach church life. Go to this, do this, put the money in the box, tick, I've done it, yes, I'm good with God. We kind of, you can see how some of that translates into modern Christianity. So what was happening is, for a dove that would normally cost one quid, or eight quid, they would sell it for 20 quid on, on Passover weekend. So they were making money out of this. Uh, gentlemen, so because men were working out of, in foreign lands, if I'm working, in, say for instance, in France, but I'd come worship in England, they wouldn't recognize my French. What do the French use? The euro? Do they use the euro? I'm not. So they, they would bring the euro, and the British would say, no, 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 we don't accept the euro. Um, we're gonna get, you need to pay the temple tax with pounds because we don't like seeing the, the French Eiffel Tower on the money or whatever the thing is. They worshipped and they worked in foreign gods. So when a when Jewish boy or young man or a father came and he worked in a foreign land with a foreign god or a foreign ruler on the coin, they'd say, no, that's not good enough for your sacrifice. You have to, come, you have to pay temple tax. And temple tax was normally um, three days work. But then they would negotiate what rate they pay for the money. So in an ordinary day, the, the, if, you, if you had Jewish coinage with you, they, you would pay three days' work. If you didn't have a Jewish coin on you, they would charge you 20 days' work because of your currency evaluation. So they were making money out of people's just laziness, I suppose, and, and the inconvenience that they, they saw happening. And it's this that Jesus is 
I mean, so, my kids would say freaking out about. He's losing it. He's so angry that this is happening, that people are busy exploiting. And the church is exploiting people's laziness and people's um, convenience t- towards this, this area. And Jesus sees this and he's getting mad. So, so what happens when church goes wrong? What happens when the church... And I've, um, I've said this, presenting the, and teaching the gospel and worship, fellowship of Jesus, without sacrifice and, and being inconvenienced for Christ, leads not only to an exhausted, frustrated, and often judgmental few, but also leads to a wandering, restless, hungry flock. The danger in church life is when worship becomes, I've sung, I've done, I've ticked my box, and it becomes an easy thing. It becomes a, um, it didn't cost me much to worship God. It didn't, it didn't inconvenience my life to worship God. The, da- the danger is when we start presenting that as gospel truth, and that is what worship is, the danger is that some of us in the room get very frustrated and exhausted because we're doing all the work and we, we're kind of like running at this thing. And those who come and, and think that worship's this easy or it's so light or it's so, it's cheap, it's, it's, it's convenient, it doesn't cost much, we get to experience a, a faith and a, and a gospel that, for me personally, you can't, is it worth following even that kind of lifestyle if it's, if it's so easy and so convenient, etc. We also forget, like we just did, and we're going to have communion later, we forget what it cost Christ for us to be in the room. We forget the gospel. We forget the cross. We forget what it's all about as believers when we make it. Um, we, I don't know in the UK, but in the world, and certainly in South Africa, there's a strong worship culture with music and worship being pertained to music. And worship is, when you say to South Africans, let's worship, the guys think, we're going to sing songs. And so they think, once we've sung songs, worship is done. I've worshipped Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but it's quite easy to sing songs. And most of the songs guys write are quite easy to sing. They, they kind of understand what's happening in our, in our cultures, and they write songs. Even the words are easy to, to go. And it's, it's good because we need to understand what we're singing. And, but worship's not that. So if you think, if you're new to church and you go, oh, we've worshipped and worship's done. No, no, no. That's, we've just sung songs about an amazing king, an amazing God. Yes, it's singing and it's part of our worship, but it's not all our worship. Florence said our giving is part of our worship. Worship is much better or much bigger than us singing four songs on a Sunday morning or me driving to church in the morning or to work playing a CD with some songs playing. I've worshipped God. No, worship always entailed us sacrificing something for something that's worth, worthy of our worship and worthy of our sacrifice. Worship's always meant to be something where I've inconvenienced my life for, this, for the sake of something greater and bigger than me. Family, we, when we worship family, sometimes in the modern era, we, we worship family, but what do we do? We sacrifice for our kids, we sacrifice for our spouses, we, we sacrifice for one another. Or we inconvenience our lives for the sake of, especially when you've got teenagers, and teenagers want to go out at night and you've got plans, and, and they're going, hey mom, I need a lift now. And you're going, yes, but I've also got plans, and mom inconveniences her life because she's got a teenager that needs to get to her friends, etc., etc. So we know what it's like, isn't it? We understand that there's inconveniences in life. We understand that we that some things in life are worth sacrificing for. If you genuinely love someone, you will sacrifice for that person. If you genuinely love someone, you will genuinely allow your life to be inconvenienced for the sake of that person. And Jesus is seeing the complete opposite of worship happening at the temple. He's walking and he's saying, this is expo- exploiting the poor. It's standing in the way of what I'm receiving or my father's receiving. This is not worship. This is business. This is people worshipping something other than me. And I'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. So let's look at how worship or worship gone wrong impacts um, the believer or the, the individual. 
Um, what happened in John 2? So, like I've mentioned now, the, the two aspects to, to our worship to God entails sacrificing towards God and being inconvenienced for the sake of God and, and in our lives being inconvenienced. So what would happen in a, in a normal Jewish family in the day is they would know that every year there's a sacrifice time coming, there's a temple coming, there's a moment coming where I'm going to go, not pay my dues, but I'm going to go and sacrifice something on behalf as a sign and symbol of, of, of God forgiving my family of their sin for the year, and as a father leading my house and being the priest in my home and responsible for leading my, my family spiritually, I'm going to go pay the price on that week. And so it, what was quite common is they would, at, at the end of the, the, the sacrifice for the next year, they would raise a little lamb or a little animal in the home, Almost like a pet. Now, Claire's, Claire, my wife's folks, um, farmed um, sheep, and every now and then the, the sheep wouldn't go to the mom, or the mom would lose the lamb, etc. And then in the middle of the kitchen, they'd have a wood, wood stove and a little box with some straw and hay, and they would hand rear this little lamb in the kitchen, and, it, and you'd feed it with a milk bottle from the babies, etc. And so often, Claire still jokes that she shared as a little baby her milk bottle with a lamb growing up, and I can see some of the resemblance in, in that and, and so, some of the things that, that my wife still does. Um, but, but imagine this. Imagine you're in a family... You're living on, out in the, in the Jewish, um, what's the word, countryside, and your sacrifice is busy being raised in your house for the year. And you know that little lamb that you're raising, little lamb chop, um, in a year's time, dad's going to take lamb chop to be sacrificed on the altar. That's significant, isn't it? This little pet that you're raising in your home, you know one day this little pet is going to be Shames. But, but, it, but it was something that was dear, something that the kids loved. Can you imagine we had, I mean, when we preached in our church, we had, it was such a funny moment because we had um, a family sitting in the back row with three of the little daughters. They're literally five, four, and, and two sitting in the back. And when I started sharing this story, the girls in the back were going, no, no, you can't do that. And I felt like a, you know, I'm a dad, so I would understand that. But, um, but, but imagine the picture. And then every year, the dad had to take this lamb or the dove, or whatever they raised, depending on where you were financially, and you would have to cart and transport this lamb all the way to the temple. I don't know how you got it there, but you had to get it there. And, then you, and when you got to the temple, you had to go, they had like a front desk with one of the, the Jewish guys there, and you would inspect your lamb to say, is lamb chops good enough to be sacrificed? Sorry, let's not give it names. Is your lamb or your sacrifice good enough? Is it blemish-free that God could, would, would he accept your, your sacrifice? And guess what the what happened there? The guy inspecting got a bit of a cutback. So every animal he rejected, you had to go buy from the Jew down the road. So you'd, I'd get to Andrew, Andrew would say to me, hey, honor, hey, hey, your, your lamb's not good enough. But down the road is someone that's got perfectly blemish-free lambs. Why don't you buy there? And he would take lamb, not, let's not give him a name, but he'd take your sacrifice, get rid of your sacrifice, and then I'd have to go buy double or triple the price, another lamb from the Jew down the road, because my lamb wasn't good enough. That's how they were making money. And Jesus kind of sees all this happening. Can you imagine that? It's nuts. For me, it makes, it's crazy to think that it got there. Doesn't it for you? Like, how did we get there? How did that happen? And so, and also, they started realizing that the people didn't like raising a lamb or a dove or an animal for a year to bring to, it was too, it was too much trouble to raise it. It was, the sacrifice become, became too much. And they said, there's an easier way. Just bring cash. Bring your cash. Give us your money, and we'll give you an animal to sacrifice. And the quality of animals that they started happening in Jesus' day that they were sacrificing and paying for were, were at, uh, far below the quality of what was required from God by law. 
And the, and the dad would say, the trouble, I'd rather just pitch up, buy the sacrifice, do the thing, give the guy money and walk out than me having to raise it for a year, me having to go to all the inconvenience of traveling and trying to arrange transport for this thing to the temple. And then by the off chance that I get to Andy and Andy says, sorry, your lamb's not good enough and I still have to pay. So why bother doing all that? I'll just bring money, pay, pay whatever it costs and I'll tick the box and I've done my sacrifice, go home. And Jesus looks at this and his heart is destroyed and he gets angry and mad because what's happening in the temple is everything but worship to God. It's not worship. It's just not worship. It looks like it. It smells like it. But it's not. And that's the thing that causes Jesus just to absolutely go mad. See, we live in a culture where where even towards God, I think sometimes we go, we love God. We love God. Because, he's, I mean, who's, what's not to love about this God? Even if you're not a believer, there's a lot that you hear about Jesus and God. You go, I love that. I love His mercy, grace, etc. And that's right. But there's also the other part of our lives that says we are here to worship God. So I love Claire, but I don't worship Claire. There's a big difference between me worshiping Claire and me loving Claire. And, and so often as believers, we can love God because it, what's not to love sometimes isn't that true? We can, have you ever found yourself thinking and saying, what's not to love about God? And you say, okay, well, then God says, okay, well, then I'm not just asking you to love me. I'm also asking you to worship me. And that's when it becomes tricky for us as believers. Because we all have to work out what does that worship look like? What does sacrificing look like? What does, what does being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel look like? And I, and I would love to believe that if you genuinely understand who Jesus is and you genuinely love him that you would find that you would start living a life of sacrifice towards Him. That our lives would start being inconvenienced because of Jesus. That he would, he would have the rights or privilege to inconvenience my life. Because He means so much to me and because I love Him. So the issue here, and it looks like the clear observation is this, that the issue here was that there was no sacrifice and, and people were not prepared to be inconvenienced for, for Jesus. We think that's the big issue. But the actual issue... Here's the issue. The issue here is not that people are not sacrificing and inconvenienced. The issue here is that people are, but for lesser masters and lesser gods. See, you will, you and I will sacrifice, and we will inconvenience a life for things and people. We will. You and I will do it. And the issue is not whether honor will sacrifice or inconvenience his life. I will do that. But it's who I'm doing it for that matters. Am I doing it because... I'll prepare to sacrifice and inconvenience my life because I worry what people will think of me. And because I care and I really care what people think of honor, I'll sacrifice huge chunks of time and energy to make sure that people like me or they think good or well of me. Or I'll be inconvenienced because I don't want to say no to you. So I would rather to keep you as a friend, I'll say no and I'll, 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 I'll be inconvenienced, I'll be disappointed, but I'll suck it up because, hey, I don't want to lose you as a friend. See, we have things that we prepared to sacrifice. We, our kids... You think, parents, I'll sacrifice anything. I've heard parents say that. I'll sacrifice anything for my kids. Is it the right thing to say? You think, yeah, of course, it's the right thing to say. I'll be inconvenienced for the sake of my kids. Of course. There's, have you noticed, in culture, there's certain areas where, where we go, it's, we just tick, so, yeah, we'll easily sacrifice and be inconvenienced. And we, when we worship God, this kind of church and what was happening, and the thing that, that irked Jesus was, the church was saying, in every other aspect of life, we'll sacrifice and be inconvenienced. But when it comes to Him, the God of the universe, Jesus, when it comes to Him, we go, hang on, hang on. It's costing us a bit much here. 
It's, it's inconveniencing us a little bit too much. I've got my life, Jesus. Can I just live it? And what's the least I can do to tick the boxes and make sure that um, I've got insurance to go to heaven one day? And it's this that gets to Jesus. It's this that gets under his skin. And he says, this is not worship. How are you doing with worshiping Jesus? How are you doing with, like, where are you? If you had to look at your life, are you, are you, are you, is it a joy to sacrifice to Christ and his call? Is it a joy when he inconveniences, when he leads you in a way that goes, and, and you say, this is so inconvenient right now. The inconvenience of being a Christ follower. The, the sacrifice of following Jesus. Things we don't often hear in church. Uh, when I preached this back in East London, I could, I could literally hear a pin drop in church because our church was going, we, why don't we hear this more often? Or what's happening here? Oh, no. So what suffers because of easy worship. There's two things, I think, in the life of our local churches and communities. The first thing is community suffers. So because of easy worship, the sense of community and who we are as a community significantly suffers because of it. Our marriages suffer if we don't worship and we don't, and, and we don't worship God correctly. We don't sacrifice. We don't get into the habit. If we don't sacrifice for God, why would we sacrifice for one another? If, we, if, our, if God can't inconvenience my life, why should my wife or my kids inconvenience my life. Our families, our, our church family, our, our community. Imagine being part of a community and you've got community groups. Um, and imagine being part of this community, but no one in the community likes sacrificing for one another. Or no one in the community is prepared to be inconvenienced for the sake of anybody. Can you imagine what that community feels like or, or is like? It, it's, it's not something that's attractive, is it? Who wants to be friends with people that will never sacrifice for you or will never allow their lives to be to be inconvenienced. Who wants to be part of that? Who wants to be part of a church that never sacrifices or, or, or just friends? Even if I'm not a believer or a Christ follower, I want friends, even if they're non-Christians, that are prepared to sacrifice for me and will, will pay the price to be a friend of mine. Or will, when I need at 3 o'clock to phone them and saying it's ice cold, but I need you to help me. I've been in a car accident. They won't ask and say, this is just not a convenient time, honor. Can I get back at you at 6 in the morning when I wake up and I've had my coffee? No, no, we need friends, don't we? Not just Christ followers, but we need friends that are prepared to be inconvenient. So community, when we, when we still worship short at church, when we still worship short and we say, worship's this, we've just sung, we've just worshipped, we, we lose that as a community. As a community, we don't grow in sacrificing for one another. As a community, we don't grow in the, in the area of being inconvenienced. And it, it's, God, it was inconvenient to meet here this morning. Because all the sound and all the gear was stashed away, how far? Just down the road, in another building. And some guys had to get up this morning, early, and inconvenience their life to set up, so that we could walk in whenever we wanted to, and have a cup of coffee and tea and a biscuit or whatever, and enjoy a lovely service. But, the, but imagine if no one in this room was prepared to be inconvenienced for that. Imagine if in the room, the guys that did it said, oh, geez, that's too much trouble. Can we just skip that? Can we just skip church this Sunday? We, just, we don't want to get together. It's just, guys, honestly, it's just too much trouble. We wouldn't have what we have now. So the community suffers. We suffer in our friendships and our relationships. The other thing that suffered in Jesus' day and, with, and in modern church is the mission of God, the, the spreading of the gospel, people hearing about this amazing Jesus. Now, if you've met Jesus and, you have been, um, and you've experienced His grace and mercy towards you, you want your friends to hear but what was happening here, because of the temple taxes in the day, they had a courtroom in the, 
in the temple where they used to worship. And in this courtroom, the, the Gentiles or those who didn't believe in Jesus would be able to pay a small fee and get in and listen to the gospel or the, or the Jews tell them about this amazing God. But because the, the money went up and they made money out of it, it even impacted that the, the Gentiles who didn't know Jesus couldn't hear the gospel, couldn't hear Jesus being shared or um, um, the Jews, Jews t- telling the story of Passover, how God came with mercy and grace and covered their sins. Local church, in, for us, it is going to cost sacrifice for us to share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus. It is going to cost you. And in England, you might know it better than South Africans. In South Africans, in South African culture, it's still quite easy to share the gospel. People are still open to it. They still want to hear. But as I've, as I've got to know my friends in England, it takes courage and it takes some sacrifice to, to share the gospel. Without it, we're not going to share the gospel. It takes inconvenience to, to hang around people and our friends that, that want to go to football rather than church. And But you're saying, but I want to become your mate. How am I going to do it? It means I'm going to have to inconvenience the rhythm of my life to, to get to you and to become a real true friend. So community suffers, the gospel suffers, the mission of God suffers when we don't get worship right. And I love worship. I love singing songs. But I also know that that's not worship in all its glory. This is singing songs and reminding me of who God is. And if the worship team does a good job, when I walk into church meeting on a Sunday morning, they're reminding me of this amazing God. Even if I don't know Jesus and they sing the right songs, I'm going to have a sense of a God that is loving, a God that is faithful, a God that loves me. And worship should do that. It points us towards God. But once we've been pointed towards Him, what do we do? We sacrifice and we inconvenience our lives towards someone that's worthy of it. See, we will sacrifice. Every human being will sacrifice. Every human being will inconvenience their lives. I know that. I know myself and I know humankind. (laughs) We will. There's something that you're sacrificing for. There's something that you're prepared to be. What is that thing that you're prepared to do? And Jesus is standing and saying, I'm worth and I'm worthy of your sacrifice. I'm worthy of your lives being inconvenienced and going through a bit of trouble. Why would Jesus have the courage to say, this is not wrong, this is not right, this is not acceptable? Because Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. Is He will one day, He will lay down His, He will be the ultimate sacrifice. So Jesus is our ultimate example. And He says, I am, I'm, one day I will sacrifice my everything for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to inconvenience myself. I'm going to leave heaven that's perfect. I'm in perfect relationship with Father, Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave my home and step into your mucked up, messed up world and live amongst you for 30 odd years. I'm going to inconvenience my life for your benefit. For your benefit. And he did that out of his love and honoring the Father and his love for you and me. And all he's saying is, I want some of that back. See, once I've experienced Christ sacrificing His everything for me, once I've experienced, I, I realized how much God and Jesus had to inconvenience His life for my benefit, I can't but respond in the same way to Him. See, I don't earn Jesus' love by me sacrificing and living a life of inconvenience. No, no, no. I respond in sacrifice and inconveniencing my life to Jesus. Why? Because He did it for me. 
Because I'm the recipient of this amazing sacrifice. I'm the recipient of this amazing love towards me. And because He did it for me, and I get that, my eyes open, I understand. The Bible says the eyes of, our, the, the eyes of understanding is opened by God's grace. We go, While Jesus loved me so much, how, what can I give you? I remember as a young, young believer, um, when I first came to Christ, some of the first things I wanted to do, wanted to do is give everything I had away to the poor, because I just thought he wanted me to sacrifice, or, or that I, I realized how much he gave me, and I said, what can I do? And so I entered ministry as a, like a teenager into college, um, and, I, and I went straight into work because I felt God wanted everything of honor, and, I, and by God's grace, I was able to, my parents allowed, and by God's grace, I was able to, from a young age, just go and say, it's, I'm yours, let's go. But it's not just for honor, it's for every single person in the room. You don't have to be in full-time ministry or church leadership to live a life where everything I have is yours. My job's yours. My family's yours. My future's yours. My, my wife, my husband's yours. My career's yours. Will you use it? Will you? And then God says, don't, don't go ahead in your career. Take a pause. Stay here a bit longer. Serve the gospel. Serve the church a little bit longer. And you're going, yeah, but, but there's, there's all that out there. And God says, no, no, just press pause a bit. Wait for me. What makes a person do that? It's weird. In our culture, isn't it? It's weird in our culture to sacrifice our careers or our, our families or our, our ambitions for something other than us. Because we're so used to sacrificing for ourselves and what, what makes us feel good or for our comfort. And Jesus, if we get it, if you understand what it costs, we're having communion today. If we understand what it costs Christ for you now to sit in the room, and to make the offer that if you come to me, I'll, I'll pass over you. God's wrath will pass over you. I will forgive your sin. You enter my family. You become one of my sons and daughters. If we get that, there's nothing you can ask us that's worth holding back and saying, I'm not prepared to give it to you. I'm not prepared to be inconvenienced because of this Lord Jesus. Because we've been won by His amazing love and grace. See, people that have been won by something and, and, and worship Him, Live like that. We, it's a natural thing. So when the church doesn't live like this, it becomes weird. You're going, what's happening here? This is, this is, it should surprise us if we're living in a culture of believers that, that don't sacrifice for one another or towards the gospel. It should surprise us when, when people are living lives of convenience and not prepared to be inconvenienced for the gospel. It shouldn't be the opposite way. It shouldn't surprise us when people are going, wow, look at a great Christian or Christ follower because they say, no, we all do that. That's what we do. Why do we do it? Because we've been the recipients of it. Can I pray for us? Just as I pray, maybe just take a moment to, just in your own heart, I think it's always good to, with, big, with scriptures that are quite challenging, to, to challenge our own lives. And there's a moment where we get to ask the question, Lord, am I, if you're a believer this morning and you follow Christ the question is quite blatantly obvious. Am I, am I worshipping you, God? Am I still worshipping you? Do I worship you? Am I, Lord, is there anything in my life that, you, that I've been... In my life, I don't know about you, but in my life, I've, at certain times in my life, I've felt God say, honor, lay this down. This is the sacrifice I require from you. Not because it's going to mean I'll be accepted and loved by him, but because it's good for me in the long run. See, Jesus is the only, he's the only one worthy of our sacrifice that, that promises full life and abundant life without fail. 
everything else I give to and I sacrifice towards one day will fail me and will disappoint honor. He's the only one that can claim, if you come to me, you'll never be thirsty again. So it's good to ask the question, God, is there anything in my life where, where I'm not prepared to lay down or sacrifice towards you? If you're not a believer this morning and you, you listen to this and you're going, Jeez, this is so radical. This is, this is weird. Who does stuff like that? You're absolutely right. It is weird. It is radical. It doesn't make sense if you God and if you your own God. But if there is another God and if there is a gracious, loving God that is prepared to lay down his life for you and has laid it down for you because he loves, because of his mercy and grace towards you, then it makes absolute sense that you would want to stop running your own life and saying, God, I bend the knee to you and I'll worship you. I accept your love. I accept your mercy. I get this amazing grace that you're offering. And my response, I can't help but respond by giving you everything. See, part of becoming a believer or a Christ follower is not just accepting Jesus, oh, come, you're my good friend. It's also me bending the knee and saying, you are Lord, and bending the knee to His Lordship. And He is the kindest, most loving, most gracious Lord that you can bend your knee to. If your family is your Lord and your Master, there's going to be a day and a time when they will break you and disappoint you and you will not satisfy them. If it's your career that you're bowing to, one day your career will fail you. One day it will disappoint you. One day you will fail it. And when you fail it, it will not have mercy and grace and, 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 and love towards you. It will kick and spit you out. He is the only master that's worthy of our worship and inconveniencing our lives for. That promises at the end of doing that, we receive this amazing love and amazing life before Him. And that's the invitation. But we do it on bended knees. We do it sacrificing towards Him. We do it inconveniencing our lives for the sake of the gospel. Lord Jesus, would you do that in our hearts? Thank you that you are our example. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, that you work in us towards that. Um, Lord, for my friends that don't know you this morning, I pray that they, when they are confronted with the gospel, when they're confronted with Christ and who you are, it would become not easy worship. It would become meaningful. It, they would worship you. That we would worship you as a church and as a community, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.